Good evening. Welcome to this week's edition of the Let's Talk About Sports podcast. Episode 8 will feature today's special guest, Joey Vaca, one of Cronkite's finest sports journalists in the class of 2023. How are we doing this evening, Joey? It's good to be here. I miss you guys. What the heck? We used to see each other every day and now it's been like months. So being able to be on the podcast, I'm excited to get back with my guys. Starting with the XFL, owner McMahon claims Luck was fired for cause. According to ESPN, McMahon's defense group claims he fired Luck for cause and used three examples of failures to comply with XFL policies. Gross neglect of the job when the coronavirus pandemic began, signing wide receiver Antonio Callaway without McMahon's approval and then refusing to release him, and personal use of an XFL-issued iPhone. What do you guys make of this lawsuit between Luck and McMahon? Um, I don't know. I feel like it's a, it's kind of dicey. I don't know if he'll win the lawsuit. Obviously, you know, Vince McMahon is a very, you know, powerful individual, but... Yeah, I don't know. I just think it's dicey in general. It's a, a lot of, like, moving parts. I'm not necessarily surprised. We know the type of man that Vince McMahon is, and we know how passionate he is about things going his way. I have to say, for those who don't know, we had the show on Blaze, the XFL Files, and to see this league, which was honestly a lot more exciting than a lot of people gave it credit for at the beginning, go away after one year, I'm sorely disappointed. In terms of the lawsuit for cause, not necessarily surprised because even if he didn't have cause, Vince McMahon would find some way to convince the public that there was a reason that he was doing things. But at the end of the day, Vince McMahon's gonna do things his way because that's how he operates. Yeah, I'm, I'm also sad that the XFL got canceled. It was a lot more exciting than the AAF. And I really think the only reason it fell apart was because of the coronavirus. I think if the Without league been around for a couple more years earlier, it probably would have survived this and just taken a big hit for one season and tried to bounce back after that. But, I mean, it was just awful timing for them to start the league. I mean, it's kind of hard to stay financially stable when your season has to get canceled four games in in the very first season of your league. It was predictable, but it's also very sad at the same time. But regarding the case, I really don't see Luck winning this case. McMahon's a powerful man. He's going to have a very expensive defense that will fight tooth and nail for him. And it just doesn't seem like Luck has a lot of evidence showing that he was not fired for cause. Soccer. Ali robbed at knife point in London home. The Tottenham star midfielder, Dele Ali, was robbed at knife point after thieves broke into his home Wednesday morning, stealing thousands of pounds worth of jewelry. According to local police, 
Ali was struck in the face and suffered minor injuries before the robbers stole the jewelry and fled. What do you guys make of the unfortunate situation with Tottenham Star? I want to see this guy's jewelry stash. Goodness gracious. I mean, if guys are coming in with a knife into his home for this kind of jewelry, I mean, geez Louise, I got to see some of this. But it's an unfortunate situation. Um, we definitely see a lot more of it once it's a celebrity or an athlete, someone of, of prominent stature. And uh, it's always unfortunate when someone so beloved like that has an incident like this happen to them. At the end of the day, the good thing is that he's all right. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I I do agree that it's unfortunate, but the biggest thing is like he survived because there's a lot of people that you know don't survive. If you think about you know R.I.P. Sean Taylor, or if you heard the story before uh, back when he played for Philly, Lou Williams got hung up at gunpoint yeah. and he was somehow survived. So just. You know, two situations, two very prominent athletes. One, you know, got lucky, fortunately, and the other one wasn't so lucky. So, this is a situation that, you know, minor injuries is one thing. The fact that he could live the toe to tail, that's that's a blessing. Yeah, and sometimes when they get attacked like this, they may survive, but some of them suffer career-ending injuries. You know, if the robber had actually used the knife and stabbed him in the wrong area in his leg. There's no way he could have played soccer again. And he's one, fortunate that he's still living, and two, it's fortunate that he'll still be able to play soccer with relatively no problems. Now, the MLB plans to shorten the draft and an anonymous spokesperson told the Associated Press that the MLB plans to cut the draft from 40 rounds to five this year. Players that go undrafted are limited to signing bonuses of 20K or less. The changes will save teams about 30 mil a year to cope with revenue loss. This year's system could cause many high school players that would have gone in rounds six through 10 to go to college instead of straight to the pros because the signing bonuses are not enough for them to turn down the opportunity for a free education. What do you guys make of the format change to the MLB draft for this year? I mean, it makes sense. The draft in general is super, 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 super long. It has to be one of the most monotonous drafts in general. People think the NFL draft is bad with seven rounds. Let's imagine 40 rounds with, let's say, if we're being honest, half the guys may never, ever, ever, ever see an MLB roster. And if they do see an MLB roster, it'll be for, you know, a couple spot appearances. And then 25% of the people drafted. Obviously, these are just rough estimates. Like 25% of the people drafted will be actually productive MLB players, and then out of that 25%, only like 10% are going to be stars, and only like 1% will be Hall of Famers. So, I feel like cutting it, especially considering the situation, you know, the fact that everything is going to have to be, you know, Zoom or digital related, it is an easy way to get through everything. Guys can really focus on, uh, you know, bidding, which is 
essentially what happens at a certain point in the draft on players that they actually want in their farm system instead of just, you know, dragging out a draft that, you know, a lot of people may not even know that much about or you probably won't even see because they only televise like the first round. Just a quick thing yeah. to build off of that. I think we're going to see less of an impact on the MLB and more on college baseball this year. And for a revenue standpoint, smart for the team. Yeah, I'd say the same thing. I think college baseball is going to be a lot more competitive this year. A lot of these high school players are not going to go pro because getting drafted in the top five rounds is really difficult. I would have liked to see them do 10 rounds instead of five, but shortening the draft was no choice. And if this is what they felt was best for the finances of the league, then we have no choice but to support it. The 2020 season return is still up in the air right now. The owners approved an MLB season proposal plan for a July start and shortened season earlier this week. But as they present their proposal to the MLBPA, there is an ugly financial fight taking shape between the two sides. If the MLBPA and the owners cannot come to an agreement in the next two weeks, the chances that the 2020 MLB season is played will be quite unlikely. What do you guys think the owners should do and how do you think the players will react to this proposal going back and forth between the two sides? Well, I lightly looked into what the actual proposal was and I saw it start 4th of July weekend and it's something like an 82 game season or something like that, a shortened year. And honestly, given the current circumstances, I think that's not only the best case scenario, but that'd be really exciting baseball to watch. People already talk about, now granted, these people are not really baseball fans, not really the traditionalists, complain that the season's too long. And a lot of those games at the end of the day aren't really going to matter but if you see a season that's half the length all of a sudden every game becomes that much more important i mean it literally becomes twice as much important because half the size of the regular season a five game losing streak i heard this in an 82 game season a five game losing streak i mean that's going to be hard to make up that ground when you have 162 games dude five games that's less than a week but 82 games that's going to be tough I think this is going to be really exciting if it gets passed. The financial stuff, uh, it's going to be tough. But both the players and the owners have to come to the realization that these aren't normal circumstances. And if they want to be able to play the season, they got to accept that. Uh, I mean, I agree with you totally. I think that this has a, a chance to make the season a lot more, you know, entertaining for a lot of, you know, non-traditional fans. Because if every game is twice as important, that means that by the time you get to, you know, postseason play and stuff, people aren't necessarily as, you know, tired or, you know, fatigued from, you know, watching baseball. And, you know, you get teams where maybe not necessarily the the sexy teams with all the high-profile players like the Yankees or the Astros make the playoffs. Maybe you get a uh, more of a, a wild card team that has a realistic chance of winning the World Series because it's less games. Because, you know, with a long season of like 162 games, 
you'll see teams that have great 80 game starts and then you know fall off at the end but I feel like it gives the opportunity for everyone to literally have a fear you know shot at this and as far as the financials I think like you said they just have to figure out a compromise because you can't just, you know, gut the players that are already agreeing to take a financial cut and the, you know, owners can't be greedy with it either. Yeah. The, um, I, on the player side, I don't know if it's really worth it for them. You know, taking the, taking half the salaries and then having the risk of contracting the virus and, you know, bringing that home to their families, their loved ones. If I'm the players, I'm, I'm, I'm more than willing just to sit this season out and just move on once this whole coronavirus thing is cleared up. But on the owner side, there is no reason they wouldn't want to play the season. And I think they'll do whatever it takes to convince the players to do that. Now, the NFL didn't have much going on this week, but former LSU tight end Daddyus Moss, son of Hall of Fame wide receiver Randy Moss, is out to get his own identity. Washington Redskins undrafted rookie tight end Thaddeus Moss wants to do what any other pass catcher does, create separation. But his definition of separation is that from his father Randy's Hall of Fame legacy. Moss told ESPN that he is tired of the comparisons and I look forward to making a name for myself. Moss comes into the season with a chip on his shoulder after going undrafted despite his outstanding two touchdown performance in the national championship game against Clemson and his LSU backup being picked in the seventh round by the Seattle Seahawks. Having picked kickers and punters, special teams guys getting picked over me, I definitely felt some type of way over it, Moss said. It's no difference. I've always had to prove myself my whole life having the last name I have. I always had to prove everybody wrong or just prove myself right my whole life. Do you guys feel that Moss was snubbed in the draft? And uh, how do you think he's going to perform with this chip on his shoulder he has now? I don't see how he wasn't drafted. Like you said, played played great in the national championship game. Uh, I know he's kind of short for a tight end, but like physically, he's outside of that. He has all the things that you would need for someone to excel at that position. And my biggest thing is, I just think in general, I agree with him as a you know son of someone who is famous and really great at one thing or just any kid, it's hard to, you know, live in that shadow if you choose the same route. Like, Michael Jordan's sons or Patrick Ewan's sons, anytime those kids play the same sport as their dad, it's like, no matter how good they are, no matter if they play college, professional balls, like, they will never live up to be their dads because their dads have such an influential like status in society in that one sport, in that one game. So I feel like almost you kind of just have to do your own thing and just make it work. Like I don't know how you live with that pressure or how parents kind of help motivate their kids when your motivation of you being great 
is not necessarily a motivation that they need considering all the circumstances. Honestly, this isn't an uncommon thing in sports. You talked about Michael Jordan, I think of The Last Dance. You hear that, and this isn't just limited to Michael Jordan, athletes will always find something to motivate themselves. And in this case, it's going to be not being drafted and having to stray away from his dad's legacy. Now you talk about the dad. The other one I think of is Bronny James. And he's LeBron James Jr., but he forces himself to be identified as Bronny because he doesn't even want to have the same name as his dad. And I think LeBron's come out and say, you know, I wish that I didn't give him that name so that he doesn't feel like he has to live up to that. He's his own person. And so this isn't an uncommon thing. I still can't believe that he wasn't drafted, but he's going to have the opportunity to prove himself. And, you know, actions speak louder than words. If this is going to, if this is what's going to motivate him, more power to him. But uh, let's see it come the fall. Yeah, I think he's going to be exciting to watch. The Redskins really have awful tight ends. Not only do I think he's going to make the team, I wouldn't be surprised to see him start. It's uncertain if Jordan Reed is ever going to recover from his six, seven, however many concussions he's had. I think it's time for him to just retire. And then Logan Thomas, he came into the league as a quarterback. Hasn't really had much of a smooth transition to tight end. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get cut and I don't even know who else they have at the position. So there's no reason why he should not be the starting tight end week one or at least by the middle of the season. So I'll be excited to see him play this year. Moving on to a hot topic on Instagram, TikTok, and a lot of social media platforms right now is the Los Angeles Rams revealing their new uniforms for SoFi Stadium debut. Now, they already had a logo change that the internet just loved to make fun of. But these new uniforms, I think that really just put the cherry on top. How bad do you guys think these new uniforms are? And do you think there will quickly be a change? You, okay, so I live in LA. I see this stuff firsthand. And quite honestly, I think this was entirely necessary. For the first time in their history of the franchise, their logo clearly describes that they're from LA. They're getting a new stadium, they got a new brand, they got new uniforms. It's uniquely Los Angeles. It was essential as a franchise for them to clearly distinguish that they're no longer the St. Louis Rams that moved to LA. These are Los Angeles's Rams. This is LA's team, and it's going to stay that way for a while. It's an ink. They got a new stadium, like you said, new logo, new uniforms, and I think they're, I think they're kind of sleek. I love the color scheme, so they're going to get a bad rap, but I think it was essential, and I think they did all right. Interesting perspective. I do understand your whole like needed for branding purposes, but in my eyes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Especially considering, okay, the colors may not necessarily be that bad, but the logo, the unis, it's just trash. I think Brandon sent, Brandon sent me a meme yesterday about Best Buy uniforms. It looked like Best Buy uniforms. <laughs> I do not, you hate, I repeat, you hate to see it. You hate to see it. Yeah, they're absolutely awful. I mean, if they wanted to rebrand and make it 
LA's team, they could have done something completely different. The NCAA indefinitely extends the deadline to pull out of the NBA draft. The deadline was originally June 3rd, but the NCAA will decide on a new withdrawal deadline once the league determines a timeline for the 2020 pre-draft process. What do you guys make of the NCAA making this move? Uh, I mean, I think it was dope. I mean, this is what everyone needs, considering everything that's in limbo and they don't know what the NBA season, like to have more time is a huge, huge plus. But I think as a result, guys that were fringe, I would expect them to pull out now because, you know, if you have to do a virtual combine and you're already fringe, I don't think that's really to your benefit. So it'll be interesting to see how many guys return or pull out the draft, you know, similar to uh, Matt McClung did, you know, from Georgetown and now is deciding to transfer. So. I mean, we knew with the coronavirus that sports all across the world and all across our country are going to be shaken up. This isn't anything new. Definitely interesting. We're going to see some far-reaching effects going into the next NBA season and the next uh, basketball season, college basketball season. But this isn't normal, and people understand that. So they're always going to remember that when they look back on this draft and then the next following season. I mean, this shortened season too. So it's kind of hard. you got to kind of look at it as in its own lens. You know, you kind of got to set it aside. And I guess all we can do is wait and see how it's going to work out. Moving on to college football, the Pac-12 is mulling an all-conference regular season. Each team would play every team in the conference once, totaling for 11 games. Every team would be forced to cancel their three non-conference games, and I believe USC has four because they play an extra game for some reason. What do you guys make of this proposal by the Pac-12 commissioner? And do you think it's good for the conference and college football in general? Hot garbage. USC plays an extra game because of the whole Notre Dame rivalry, whatever, I'm pretty sure. But what purpose of this is, is that, like, it would be extremely mind-numbingly boring to see a team play their whole conference for a whole season. Some of the best matchups and some of the most interesting matchups are non-conference matchups. You know, the matchups when you get, you know, Alabama playing like USC or like Auburn playing Oregon, those type of matchups. The matchups in the beginning of the season that really, you know, help move you up or down the power rankings. Well, not power rankings, but move you up the uh, rankings for polls, gives you a better chance for college football playoff. And then also, it is even more disrespectful to the teams that already have a Low, a sliver of a shot to get to the college football playoff. So the great teams and the Memphis and the uh, UCS, they literally have no shot at making the playoff now because no matter what they do, they really can't get to the, uh, the title because they don't play in a great conference or don't play in the sexy power ride. So I don't like it. Awful idea. Leave it how it is. I'm going to speak on this in regards strictly to the Pac-12. 
those games would be exciting games because the Pac-12, while it may not be the strongest conference in college football, it's the most exciting in that it's the most competitive. You never really know who's going to win, and the power dynamic constantly shifts. So those 11 games would be exciting football games to watch. Now, though, you factor in the rest of the college football landscape, that is a logistical disaster. Because, like I said, those games would be exciting. You wouldn't know who's on top. There is a 0% chance that the Pac-12 would be able to send the team to the playoff in that format. Just wouldn't happen. And in regards to non-conference games, that's a shame. Because right now, that's basically the only way the Pac-12 has an opportunity to send a team to the playoff, is making a statement in those games. Oregon was supposed to play Ohio State this year. If that doesn't happen, that's going to take a huge hit to their playoff chances. So from a football perspective, the games would be interesting. People would watch the games. The games would be fun to watch. But from a college football as a whole and where the Pac-12 fits into the national landscape, it's an absolute disaster. It would be awful. They're completely eliminating themselves from the picture. The Pac-12 has not been that great these past few years. They really haven't had that one dominant team to make the playoff. And if you got all these teams not playing any non-conference games and they're only playing against their conference rivals, how are you really supposed to know how good these teams are? At that point, you might as well just have the entire SEC conference play for the national championship and the four best teams from the SEC go to the college football playoff. I mean, it's kind of pointless. I, I really don't idea. like the idea. It's, you know, Oregon also had North Dakota State on the schedule. You know, they may not be, you know, the, 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 pretty, the pretty power five team, but beating North Dakota State, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they've won seven of the past eight FCS titles. I mean, they're, they're beyond a powerhouse. They dominate the FCS more than Clemson dominates the FBS. I mean, they are the face of the FCS. Beating a very good North Dakota State team would have been great for Oregon's resume. And, you know, they beat Ohio State, beat North Dakota State. I see no reason why that team would make the playoff. But without those wins, who knows what one loss in the Pac-12 really is going to mean for them. I think it's an awful idea. Finishing up with college basketball, as Lamar said earlier, Georgetown guard Mac McClung withdraws from the NBA draft and enters the transfer portal. The move makes him the most sought after transfer in the country. He was named to the Big East all-freshman team, averaging 13.1 points per game in the 2018 season, and he was having a breakout sophomore season, averaging 15.7 points per game before his foot injury ended his 2019 campaign. He is filing a waiver for immediate eligibility in the 2020 season. How do you think he could impact some possible teams to transfer to, and do you think this will be good for college basketball? I mean, I feel like if you need an athletic guard that can go get you a bucket, then you should get him on your team. If not, then I don't see what service he could provide you. I'm not saying he's not a good player, but you got to think about your team. If you have a log jam at guard, or if you have a lot of ball-dominant guards, it wouldn't make sense adding him to your team because Mac is clearly looking to make an immediate impact and then use that to catapult him to the draft. Now, he played at Georgetown, which historically has been a good basketball program. 
But Georgetown hasn't been a national contender in like a decade. And they have a carousel of coaches every year, it feels like. And I honestly can't even name another player on that team. So that lets you know it's a lot going on with the program, considering I'm from D.C. So I think, if, like I said, if you have a need for a guy with his skill set, get him. Simple as that. It's fascinating to see how the landscape of college athletics has shifted in that now transfers have become like free agents in the professional leagues. It's going to be really interesting to see what schools go after him and how they attempt to get him to transfer. I mean, we've heard about gifts given to prospects and stuff, but now in the terms of transfers and treated like almost a free agent, an amateur free agent, it's going to be really interesting to see how this this top prospect and this big name player is treated in this transfer portal situation. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point with the whole free agency thing. I think whoever needs a guard needs to go get them. Some teams that come to mind are Oregon State, Arizona. They lost a lot of their guards. And there's a there's a lot of teams that could use some guards, and they could turn turn into a contender by bringing in McClung. That is all we have for episode eight of the Let's Talk About Sports podcast. I'd like to thank special guest Joey for taking time out of his day to be on this episode. And thank you all for listening today. We hope you tune in for season finale episode nine being released on Friday, May 22nd by 11.59 p.m. Check my Snapchat stories username at rbjones99, Instagram stories and Twitter updates usernames at therealbj99 to find out when the episode is released and to find the link. You can also subscribe to receive automatic email updates for the Let's Talk About Sports blog and put in content requests or requests to be featured in future episodes by going to rbjones99.wixsite.com slash let's talk about sports slash contact.